This is the John Oakley Show podcast. There's a chill across the land, actually, and this is figuratively speaking, of course, with the native blockades, so-called, at least, and uh, how to resolve is anyone's guess. The prime minister says uh, we don't instruct police forces. It's complicated in a nutshell is what he's saying, not his word, but mine. And uh, so they're sort of standing down and saying consultation will lead to some kind of resolution. When? I have no idea. But let's put it to Conrad Black, noted author, commentator, and historian who has joined the Oakley Show on most Fridays at this time. Conrad, how are you? I'm fine, thanks, John. How are you? Pretty good. Kind of curious to get your take on this hot mess, as we call it. How did we get here and how do we resolve this thing? Yeah, this has flared up quite suddenly, and I, I should know more about it than I do. I've been traveling, and I just got to where I am now. But uh, I, I think we cannot stand any serious level of obstructionism. I mean, I'm all for negotiation, but I, I'm not. I, I just don't think we can stand any more being held to ransom by anybody. Uh, but the fact is, that as a as a society, the, the, these um, irritated natives have been pretty thoroughly accommodated, I think. That's it, uh, because a lot of people submit that these are not even fully, uh, you know, res- uh, expressions of native angst or uh, grievances, historical grievance. They think there's a lot of folks who may have just drifted into town or uh, onto sites, you know, anarchists, other environmental well, radicals. As you see in other countries, just people who like to... Uh, um, demonstrate and basically inconvenience people and create an atmosphere of civil disobedience and unrest. I, I, I mean, without I, I don't I don't see that there are any terribly violent elements involved or anything like that. I don't think we're, you know, I don't think anyone's trying to stage a coup d'état. But I the, look, I the truth is, I'm just not qualified to say to what extent that that is what you just said is the case. But I, I mean, unless human nature has suddenly been frozen by the rather inclement weather, I think it's likely that there's a good part of that. Yes. What do you make of the prime minister? I mean, he's still over there in Africa uh, trying to solicit that uh, desirable U.N. Security Council seat, and uh, he's been missing in action on this one. Mark Garneau, the transport minister, said, well, in the case of the blockade just to the east of us in Tyendinaga territory, uh, it's up to the province to enforce the injunction. So uh, they're kind of taking a hands-off or a distancing approach. Is that the right approach? Temporarily, I mean, somebody is going to have to accept responsibility to maintain basic services and right of movement of the population. And if, if you know, they can't bobble the ball back and forth. I think technically Garner was right, but if the province declares itself incapable of doing it or unwilling to do it, then the buck stops with Ottawa. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with the prime minister being out of the country. I, I personally think his uh, hunt for a temporary, you know, a two-year seat on the Security Council is nonsense, and, and it would be a badge of honor if we instead produced a massive program of reform of the United Nations, but um, which would assure that we wouldn't get on the Security Council for some time. Uh, but but uh, I, I don't, I, I, you know, I, I'm not an automatic apologist for Justin, but I don't think at this point he is wrong not to drop what he's doing and rush home, creating a further atmosphere of crisis. I don't blame him for not interrupting a foreign trip for this, but um, but 
uh, Garno can't bobble it back and forth with the province for very long. Right. Somebody's got to deal with it. Right. Uh, so you don't blame him for not coming back, but you actually blame him for the trip, per se. <laughs> well, if he, if he was, for, in, for argument's sake, Berlin or London or Washington or Beijing or someplace where he was actually doing something that could conceivably advance the, uh, you know, indisputable national interest, then I, you know, the, I, I would, I would say absolutely don't come back. But you know, tell your acting prime minister what to do if it go if it becomes a federal matter by by right of abdication from the province. But uh, we're getting into separate issues here. I think this whole business of uh, kissing the undercarriage of the most disreputable underdeveloped countries to try and win a popularity contest for a meaningless position in a moribund institution is not the way to conduct foreign policy. Well, let's segue into that area then. Conrad Black, author, commentator, and historian. Like it's been said, for example, that uh, seeking this vaunted seat... Uh, as much as he might be lavishing praise and, you know, hobnobbing with these different leaders in Africa uh, and some of, you know, dubious uh, ethical background. I think they run the gamut. I think some of them are very good and some of them are very bad and everything in between. All right. Okay. Uh, but nonetheless, what he's doing here, it doesn't matter a whole uh, hill of beans because China has a veto as one of the five standing members on the Security Council. Right now, uh, our relationship to China is rather chilly, isn't it? So it seems, yes. Yeah, okay. And so uh, the latest installment on that front is that the U.S. has, uh, I guess, served up a new indictment against uh, Meng Wanzhou. And since we hold her, uh, I mean, what do we do on this one? I guess we've got to hand her over, don't we? Um, it, it, now, in my opinion, look, I, 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 we, we may not have any choice now. We can't get into the business of simply breaking treaty obligations, and, and particularly not with a country as important to us as the United States. But um, in my view is we shouldn't have that extradition treaty with the U.S. Uh, it, it is not in criminal matters a society of laws. The, the conviction rate is so high and defendants have so little chance in that country that uh, we shouldn't be extraditing anybody there. And uh, but But the time to deal with uh, such a thing as when the treaty lapses or after due notice, not in the midst of a controversy like this. But um, I, I guess we have no choice but to hand her over. And incidentally, I think Huawei is a company that is that has uh, broken the laws of virtually every country it's operated in. And it certainly, as we've discussed this before, it effectively bankrupted Nortel, one of the greatest companies in our country, by simply stealing all of its uh, advanced uh, insight into into areas of telecommunications and and uh, just stole it. And Huawei was built on theft. Nortel went bankrupt, and Huawei is one of the greatest companies in the world. So uh, I, I I don't know if this particular individual, this woman, has has anything to do with that. But it, we're in this very odd situation. Huawei deserves no sympathy. The extradition treaty shouldn't exist. The woman may be innocent for all we know, and deserves the presumption of innocence. And it's just been a shambles at every level. Well, it's interesting when you mention Nortel, because uh, that's a claim by, uh, I guess, six 
major tech companies stateside are claiming that Huawei has for years, for decades even, stole their secrets. Cisco was one such, but you're saying Nortel was basically beggared in this country by Huawei. How'd that work? Absolutely. And when the Ministry of Defense, our Ministry of National Defense, took over the former headquarters of Nortel, once it went into the tank, they had to take absolutely all the wiring out of it because it was a straight conduit of industrial espionage to China. They had to take out everything. And wow. they took over the headquarters of the greatest high-tech company in the country. How come nobody's written that book? <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I've referred to it, but, it, but it's there. And, and it's a, I'm not making it up. It's a matter of public knowledge. And, and the, uh, the, uh, for example, the former minister of national defense, uh, Peter McKay, now running for position of leader of the opposition, he would confirm that, and he said it publicly. Well, so I don't want any of your listeners to think this is some tall tale cooked up by me in the middle of the night because of some animus against the regime in Beijing, which I don't have. I don't. I've not, I mean, they are what they are. They're a dictatorship, but they they are not a trustworthy interlocutor, and they absolutely rolled us that time. But Conrad, how do you explain your buddy Boris Johnson over in the UK uh, cozying up to them for the five G network there, and Donald Trump's not too pleased by all of that? I don't. Uh, when Boris was my employee, I found his conduct hard to understand at times, and uh, a little bit of that remains. <laughs> okay, rather succinct answer. Well, I, 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 I don't want to. I don't want to get into sort of semi-lewd matters. But when he was the editor of the Spectator, and it came to light that the deputy editor, a very attractive young lady, had had an abortion of Boris's. Uh, the uh, ostensibly happily married to another woman uh, and a divorce lawyer, incidentally, Boris's child, I had, you know, I found that hard to explain, but, you know, uh, he, he wasn't answerable to me for his sex life. Well, I was just going to say, there's vestiges of the tabloid publisher still within you, anyway. <laughs> well, look, you either, you, you either have to, uh, uh, you know, let them do what they do in all fields other than when they're working for you, or, or you end up with less talented people. Hey, speaking of which, I'll end on that note. What do you make? What's your early takeaway from the Dems primary contest? Um, the burning question is, can Klobuchar get enough momentum between now and Super Tuesday where she becomes the alternative to Bloomberg? I mean, Bloomberg, I, the last poll I saw had him at 15 in California, and Klobuchar is just under 20 in New Hampshire. Now, obviously, those are hardly comparable states, but she is emerging as the non-far-left alternative to Bloomberg. And the, the, the question in such things always is, is the center a position of strength or weakness? Does she get eaten alive by Sanders on the left and Bloomberg coming from the center or center-left? Uh, or, or, or does she build up the center and, and, and push Sanders back and, and exploit the resentment of Bloomberg, who, I, who is an able man and would, I think, be a good candidate and a good president? But uh, but this is the most vo- absolutely brazen vote-buying exercise in the history of the world. No one has ever tried to buy votes like this before. And so uh, the takeaway is, is Bernie going to get schlonged again? <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> In a sense, I, 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 that party is not that left wing. I mean, it's certainly got a sizable left wing to it, but they are not going to nominate Bernie, in my opinion. I mean, this guy is a Marxist who believes in free elections, which the country will buy the free elections part, but not the rest of it. I mean, uh, you know, it, this is just 
too far left for the Americans. So, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's just 180 million people have their current medical plans canceled. A $50 trillion compulsory federal program imposed on people, most of whom are happy with what they have now. Uh, the massive tax increases, a trillion dollars of loan forgiveness, free tuition for everybody, free medical care for people who enter the country illegally through open borders. I mean, the country won't buy it. I mean, even the Democrats won't buy it. If I ever nominated this guy, Trump would take every single state for the first time since James Monroe. Well, that's why the Republicans are also hoping Bernie gets the ticket. Uh, Conrad, always a pleasure. You have a great long holiday weekend, and uh, we'll talk next week. Right you are, John. Thanks. Same to you and your listeners. Thank you, Conrad Black, author, commentator, and historian. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 